0: but I'm going to kind of overlap a little bit with some, some of chapter 9 to set the, the table this morning. And I've been talking here uh, in the messages. It's been very interesting how the Lord's lined this up. And, and you know it's God because uh, we're in Psalms on Wednesday night. And we preached from Psalm 51 and probably preached a little harder on Wednesday night than I had planned to. But we were talking about David's confession of his sin and how he got right with God. Uh, last week we preached from chapter 9 on getting right with God. And I uh, showed you how the Israel had already fulfilled all those things that they were required to fulfill according to the Old Testament law. They'd already gone through all the processes. They'd done everything that was expected of them by the time they got to the end of chapter number 8. And then you see in chapter number 9, their heart's cry to God was just, listen, we're not done. Uh, we really, really want you. And you see that the heart of that thing was, we're not just trying to fulfill what we have to fulfill to check the to-do box with God. And I got all the things done that I'm supposed to do, so I'm right with God. Technically, by the end of chapter 8, according to the law of God, they would have been right with God. They had done everything they were supposed to do. Uh, They'd been following God. They'd been looking back and seeing that God had done some amazing miracles Uh, in politics. They're still in captivity. Don't forget we're in Nehemiah. They're still in captivity. But God had been working even in politics with the kings and how God had set everything up. And years before with Ezra returning back to that area and rebuilding the temple. And then Nehemiah comes in and says, listen, I I see God's doing something. I see we're moving the right direction. This is amazing that in our captivity, uh, in our judgment on our sin, with the fallout that we've been receiving from God and from his judgment, God's still not done with his people. Man, that's encouraging to me. And they'd accepted their punishment and they, they're saying, listen, I realize that the results of my sin and our sin is captivity. We're in this mess because of our sin. And yet God's not done. The temple's rebuilt and they focused on putting the Lord first and worshiping God first. Then Nehemiah comes and says, listen, God's given us something. We have something here. It's put together. The temple's back. These walls need to be built because the adversary is going to come in and tear down what we have rebuilt that the adversary already destroyed. You understand what is being taught there. You understand that the adversary destroyed the temple of God because he did not want God's people worshiping God. So now God has worked miracles. God allowed that destruction because of their sin. Now God has worked miracles and brought them back and rebuilt that temple. But that doesn't mean we can relax and say, look at what God's done. We're in our comfort zone like we talked about with David on Wednesday night. He's established in the kingdom. Everything's going really well. We got tons of victory everywhere we turn. I don't need to go out to battle. I'll just send the guys. This is just a, a punk war. This is a time when kings go out to battle. This isn't any real threat. I'm just going to send the guys out. I'll send Joab at, with the army, and I'll stay back and relax. You can't get to that zone. You can't say, look what God's done. We're all good. It's time to just chill. No, the walls have to be built because the enemy will come in and tear down what God's doing in your life. You're not, you haven't grown so much spiritually. You haven't gotten so much victory in your life. You don't know your Bible so well, and you're not so established in your walk with the Lord that you can just drop your guard and just say, well, everything's good. Let's put up our feet and relax and get off your bed in the middle of the day and walk out on the roof and what's there? You see, the devil's not done setting you up because God's not done trying to use you. God has plans for your life. You do understand that, right? Plans that you can mess up, plans that I can mess up. That scares the fire out of me. I believe God has a future for me as long as he leaves me alive in this world. I believe he has a future for me in this life. And we spent a lot of years trying to do something for God. We spent a lot of years praying, a lot of years preaching, a lot of effort, a lot of money, a lot of organization, a lot of structure, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of good times, a lot of bad times, tons of unity and lots of blessing and then people problems and issues and splits in fellowship and all kinds of stuff that's happened and trying to do something for God. And what scares the fire out of me is that the devil wants to stop what God's been doing. It scares me half to death. I've watched a bunch of you grow. I mean, I am i am honestly so thankful, so relieved. I feel so much, I feel like I could be at that point where David would just kick his feet up and say everything's going to be all right. That's what I feel like right now. This church is, I mean, those testimonies on Sunday afternoon were just, So much help to me just to see the depth. My wife and I were talking about it on the way home. Just to see the depth that's in our church that you wouldn't even know is there on an average Sunday morning. To see what God's been doing in people's lives and how encouraging that is. To see that really as a ministry, not just individually, but as a ministry, I feel like God has established us. I feel like He's allowed us to build a place here that is dedicated to the preaching of the Word of God and dedicated to exalting the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And people that have gotten saved and that have grown and, and relationships that have been built. And man, it's a blessing to watch what was little kids. I mean, they were in our Sunday schools. I mean, like... Two blinks ago, they were in Sunday school. Now they're playing the piano and they're going off to youth camp. And it's just amazing to see what God's doing. And you know what scares me? The devil's not going to sit back and say, oh, it's okay, leave him alone. Nehemiah said, we need to get these walls built and make sure that those breaches are sealed and we need to get the gates hung up. We need to make sure that we got this thing well defended and that we're keeping this thing exactly what God wants it to be because the devil will try to tear it down. You young people, just because you're doing well now, and we got a great youth group right now. I'm so impressed it's not even funny. I have a tremendous amount of respect. Do you hear that? I mean, literally, I respect a teenager. I am, I'm 44 years old, and I respect a teenager like a man would respect an older man. You understand what I'm saying? I respect a teenager in this day and age that will serve Jesus Christ and do right and take a stand for God, even when it costs them friends, they'll do right. And we got that right now. But I'm telling you that there are bridges you're going to cross where the devil going to try to burn that bridge out and get you away from Jesus Christ. You're making that transition from being a kid and being a teenager into adulthood. And that, that crazy transition, the way your mind's going to change, the way your heart's going to change. I'm going to tell you this again, and I've said it so many times, I'm afraid of being boring and rep- too repetitive to you. But listen, I've got to say this again. Reality is not going to match your expectations of what you thought things were going to be. When you're a kid and you're dreaming about the future and you're thinking about what God's going to do and I've done all these things like my preacher said and I'm I'm listening in youth group and I'm listening to my youth pastor and I'm following the right examples in my life and I'm listening to my mom and dad and I listen to preacher and, and I'm doing all these things so since I'm doing everything the right way, since I'm dedicated to God, then that means God's going to work this way in my life. That means by this age I'm going to be married and I'm going to have four healthy kids or three healthy kids or two healthy kids and I'm going to have the perfect job and I'm the perfect spouse and there's no going to be no marriage issues because we're going to build it all on Jesus and I've been serving Jesus so far so that means my life is going to look like this and that is not reality. I'm trying to tell you the devil going to try to make a breach in that parameter and he's going to disappoint you through the reality of how life is and how things play out. I'm telling you this morning be careful because the devil wants to tear down what God is trying to build. God has a future for you that you can abort by the decisions that you make. And Israel now has seen the ramifications of their negative decisions. So thankful on Sunday afternoon for those testimonies, because I've, I've warned you for years, and I've taught against for years. You've heard me teach against getting up and talking about your past in church and 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 almost glamorizing it. Like I love Jesus and I'm serving God so well and I'm so in love with the Lord because I was this wicked, horrible, awful sinner, and the Lord saved me and cleaned me up, and now that's what makes me the man I am today. And then some kid that was raised in Christian in, in church in a in a Bible believing Christian home, like your pastor. I was raised in a Bible-believing Christian home. Some kid's sitting there and thinking, well, I can't do anything for God because I don't have that kind of a testimony. I've, I've heard it in church. So it hushes everybody else's testimony because it's like, well, I, don't have, I can't compete with that. You know what's a blessing to me? Was to hear the way you folks with wisdom and, and I think the leadership of God's Spirit gave your testimonies on Sunday afternoon. You know what you young people should have heard? You should have heard some older people saying, Hey, listen, because of our sin against God because of things that we did that was not what God wanted us to do. The walls were built, burnt down. You understand? The worship was gone. The temple was destroyed. The enemy had taken over. The weeds and the thistles were growing. The ground was hard. It was dry. And it was miserable. And it was horrible. But hey, I'm thankful there's a merciful God in heaven. And I'm glad he's brought me to the place he's brought me to. And I just want to thank God for what he's done in my life. And listen to me, young people. The world has nothing to offer that I have not found in here. Everything you need is right here. Don't go there thinking you're going to satisfy something and then think you're going to come back here. What you need is right here. Amen. Man, was that a blessing? And it was well done. And I hope you young people heard that. And I hope we all heed the warning that, listen, sin comes into our life because guess what we are? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Every last one of us is sinful people. And here he goes beating us down again. I'm not, I'm not. Listen, it's been the subject matter in the text. No matter where we run, it's there. That's where God has us right now. It's a, it's a message the Holy Spirit of God is bringing to us right now. We're sinful people, right? And as a result of our sin, guess what has to be a constant part of your Christian life? Confession. A daily part of your prayer life ought to be a time of confession between you and God. We don't believe in a confessional booth here. You don't come and confess your sins to the pastor. How can a man who has his own sins to deal with forgive you for your sins? That is not possible. I don't have the authority to tell you you're forgiven. But there's a God in heaven who sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to bleed and die on the cross of Calvary to take away your sins. His blood was perfect. His life was perfect. He always went about doing good. He never one time sinned against God Almighty like you and I do. And He is the one you can go to. Hey, the Bible says He ever liveth to make intercession for us. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And you can go to Him and ask for forgiveness of sin and listen and if you're not saved this morning that is every sin you've ever committed he'll wash those in his precious blood and take you to heaven when you die by putting your faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ he'll wash you clean and once you've been saved you don't have to worry about hell you do understand that right you're not going there but what you do have to worry about is your sin influencing and impacting this life Does that make sense? So I'm eternally secure because the blood of Jesus Christ washed me from all my sin, past, present, and future the day I got saved. But that does not mean that I can live like the devil today and everything's cool. Everything's cool regarding my soul because I'm sealed with His Holy Spirit. But everything's not cool in my relationship with Him. So if I go ahead and start living a sinful life as a Christian, the walls will get burnt down. The temple will get destroyed. Listen, the Apostle Paul teaches us to the church. He talks about God judging your body because many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. That's death. Your sin in this life can and will impact how your life goes as you move forward. You know what we need this morning? We need some people like Israel in this passage that say, you know what, no matter what, I'm getting clean with God, and I'm not doing the bare minimums. I'm not getting through chapter number eight. I'm going all the way that when chapter number eight's over, we're not leaving the the testimony service. We're not leaving the religious service. We're not leaving the time with God. We're getting on our face, and we're crying out to God with fasting and with prayer. We're staying in our Bible, and we're going the extra mile to get right with God because we long for his fellowship. We long for his blessing like Jacob that wrestled with the angel, and he wrestled all night. Listen, his hip got knocked out of joint. Do you understand? I don't know if you understand what it means to have your hip ripped out of joint. And he would not stop wrestling. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm going the extra mile. You show me in the Bible where he was commanded to do that. That was not a matter of I have to do this because the Bible says. That was a matter of a man saying... I want God more than I want even the breath in my lungs. I want God and I'm not letting go of him until you give me your blessing. And he walked with a limp the rest of his life. His whole life was changed because of that encounter with Almighty God. He was that committed which I'm finally telling you the subject of the message this morning. Commitment. He was that committed to his personal relationship with God that he didn't care if it weakened him and crippled him for the rest of his life. He was going to hang on to that angel and refuse to let him go until he blessed him. i in the gym this week and I we used the bathroom and I came out. One of my guys turns and he says, Pastor Mike. I'm like, yeah. What was the first wrestling match in the Bible? The other guy's standing behind him looking. I said, that'd be Jacob wrestling with the angel in the book of Genesis. He said, I, I told you it's in the Bible. Hey, yeah, I was right. He said, actually, that dude was so hardcore the angel knocked his hip out of joint and he kept fighting, bro. So, man, you don't even know what you're pre- I didn't say it, but I thought, you don't even know what you're preaching, man. You want God that bad? I mean, that's, that's a great desire for God. He was committed. Here, Israel is committed to the Lord starting back in chapter number 9. Let's get a running start. I've pretty much already given you what's here, so let's look at it anyways. Look at verse number 30. Yet many years... Did thou forbear them? You know what's wonderful about God? In spite of the fact that I've told you and I've hammered on you and I've preached at you hard about being a sinner and how we are sinners and accepting the fact that you're a sinner and not having your pride bow up against that, but accept that thing. In spite of the fact that we are sinners and that we are wrong before God, God forbears us. For many years didst thou forbear them and testifies against them by thy spirit and thy prophets. That's why you need to be here this morning. God still uses preaching to testify against you. Ouch. That's, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? I mean, like, literally, that's kind of harsh. Like, man, the preacher's against us. No, no, I'm not against you, but I'm for you. You understand? I'm for. You. And that, the reason I give you what God says is because God's for you. When you're for Him. And listen, when you're against Him, He's against you. So is that the position you want? No, it's a preacher's job to say, listen, this is what God says. Thus saith the Lord. This is what the Bible teaches. Open it up and look. Look at what at. is. Let's go through the passage. I'll show you what God says. God's testifying against them. That is God's mercy when He gives them a message. The gentlest way God can rebuke you is right here, right now, in this room. Man, preacher, I wish God had a gentler way. Maybe you gotta fire me and find a gentler guy to be the pastor. That's the only thing I could tell you, but if he's really God's man, then he's gonna, maybe with a gentler style, he's gonna do the same exact thing. This is God's, folks, it's so important what we're doing here this morning. The gentlest way you can get corrected is for God to tell you And you to go, oh yeah, oops, I better correct that. That is so much better than burning down your walls. That is so much better than destroying your temple. That is so much better than divorce. That is so much better than sickness. That is so much better than death. That is so much better than strife and brokenheartedness and fighting with everybody and all the things that come into our life because of sin and inability to get along with other people. That misery, that dark feeling where something's wrong because you always got an issue with somebody. That stuff sin. So God's telling them by the prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore, thou gavest them into the hand of the people of the lands. We've already covered that. Nevertheless, look at verse thirty-one. For thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them nor forsake them. For thou art a gracious and merciful God. Man, what a good verse. I mean, mean, look, he didn't just say, for thy mercy's sake. He said, thy great mercy's sake. Aren't you glad God hasn't disciplined you like you deserve? Don't we pout sometimes when God, right? I just don't know why. I, I pointed out to you over and over again, that's not true repentance. When somebody's sorry because they're having to deal with the fallout of what they did, that is the way Saul repented. God did not accept that repentance. That is the way Esau repented. God rejected that repentance. That is the way Cain repented. My punishment is greater than I can bear. You killed somebody. You killed your brother. And you're squawking because your punishment is great. You still have a life. Yeah, well I'm a cast out, I'm forsaken, I have to Okay, so go build a tent somewhere, build a cabin somewhere, at least you get to watch the sun come up, at least you get to hear the birds sing, at least you get to find something you're interested in and enjoy a hobby. At least you're alive. You murdered somebody. What do you mean? Your punishment is greater than you can bear, Cain. That ain't repentance. But David, thou art the man. Yeah, Lord, you're right. I'm the man against thee and the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That's true repentance. David wasn't squawking about the punishment God gave him. When the baby died as the judgment of God, David got up and went to the dinner table and said, bring me some food. And before he came to the dinner table, after fasting for seven days, asking God not to do it. God I deserve it, but please don't do it. please de- God, I deserve it, but please don't. God, I deserve it, but please don't do it. After fasting for seven days, he finds out the baby's dead. He gets up, he goes into the temple to worship. Well, I quit on God because God was what was your reason? He goes and worships, and that's probably when he writes Psalm 51, or during the time of fasting and prayer for seven days, he writes Psalm 51. Because the title tells you he wrote it when Nathan the prophet, after Nathan the prophet had come in and said, you're the man and here's the judgment that's coming on your life. And the sword never leaves his house. He buries his boys. And he never once squawks at God for it. Instead, he writes psalms about the goodness and mercy of God and God delivering him from guiltiness and God not killing him and all the rest of that stuff because he was truly repentant. True repentance is, man... I've lost my relationship with God and I hate the fact that that relationship with God is gone and I'll take anything i got coming my way but God please fellowship with me anyways. God didn't forsake him. God was merciful to him. He judged him but not as much as they deserved. Just like me and you. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty and the terrible God who keep his covenant and mercy, let not all the trouble seem little before thee. God, look at where we're at. God, look at the mess we're in. And God, please, I know you're God. I I realize you're sitting out in eternity somewhere. The heaven's your throne. The earth is your footstool. I realize this entire universe that is so massive and vast to us is literally nothing to you. You could just smash it like that. I, I get that. But God, please, don't let my problems, please, God, don't let my problems seem small to you. Please condescend to a man of low estate. God, please recognize when your little child is truly broken hearted over a teddy bear that the dog tore up. Because it really hurts me. And please come down to where I'm at and weep with me. Please come down to where I'm at and comfort me. Please come down to where I'm at and sit beside me. Please come down to where I'm at and get me through this. You see how they really got right with God. They're not saying, God, listen, take away all the problems. They're saying, Lord, don't let the problems look small. They're rejoicing in the fact that he hasn't done more to them. They're recognizing their own sinfulness. He says, let them not seem little before thee that thou come upon us, and on our kings, and on our princes, and on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and on all thy people since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this day. How be it thou art just in all that thou hast brought upon us. You see that? Man, they really got right. These people are committed to God. Because they're saying, everything that's happened to me, God, you're right that it happened to me. For thou hast done right, and we have done wickedly. You ever deal with people that want to blame God? They always want to say, God did this, and that's not fair. And I don't know why a loving God, and how would a loving God, and why would a loving God let that happen? But then they want to justify themselves in the same breath. You see what that is? That is man taking God's place. That's not somebody really seeking God. Verse 34, Neither have our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers kept thy law, nor hearken unto thy commandments, and thy testimonies wherewith thou didst testify against them. For they have not served thee in their kingdom, and in thy great goodness thou gavest them, and in a large and fat land which thou gavest before them, neither turned they from their wicked works. Behold, we are thy servants this day, and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. So what they're saying is, you gave us some great stuff, and as a result of our sinfulness, now the enemy is coming in and taking over, and we are servants in a place that we ought to be the beneficiaries of. Instead, we're here, and they're getting rich off of us, off of our blessings. They've stolen them. Verse 37, and it yieldeth much increase unto the kings, whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle. At their pleasure, we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. And our princes, Levites, and priests seal onto it. Now, here's what's crazy about that, and we're going to dive in, and I'm going to move fast. Here's what's crazy. They just got done saying, look at the mess we're in, God. And it's a result of our sin. And you've been merciful and gracious in not doing more damage to us than has been done. And so what we're going to do, God, in the mess we're in, Look on our mess. And while we're sitting here and they're getting rich on what's ours, we're going to make a commitment to you. I don't find them asking God to reverse it. They're recognizing the situation, they're asking God not to consider it little, they're accepting the judgment, and they're saying, even if things stay just like this, God, we're making a commitment to you, and in chapter 10, verse number 1, now those that sealed were, and he goes into a list of names from verse number 1 down through verse number 27, all the leaders of Israel, all the people that were in positions of authority and leadership are saying, listen, God, we're making a commitment to you right here, right now, today, and we're sealing our names to it. We're not backing off. We're not quitting on you. We're accepting what has come upon us, because your God and we know your mercy and we know your goodness what you do with us you do did you hear me what you do with me you do my life is not mine to control if you bless me great if I stay here I've already reaped more mercy and more grace and more goodness from God in one lifetime than I ever could possibly deserve and my eternity looks phenomenal I went from a beggar to a multi-billionaire the day I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Well, I'm just poor. I don't have money like other people. Are you saved? Do you not understand that you're a multi-billionaire? Do you know, the the only difference is you don't have to wait for your daddy to die because he ain't going to die. You're going to die. And when you die, then you get it because the Bible says that he went to prepare a place for you. Hey, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I'm rich. So even if God doesn't do another good thing for me in this lifetime, if not one more soul is saved, if not one more person joins the church, if not one more good thing ever happens to me in my lifetime, I've already reaped better. I've reaped better than I've sowed. So they're making a promise. The seal of their commitment. And they're putting their names to it. You'll notice the leaders start out, Nehemiah is the first one to sign it. You know what I got from that, don't you? You want your family to sign on? You want people around you to sign on? You want people you care about to sign on? They ain't signing on until you do. Don't send your kids to church. Take them to church. You want your wife to sell out for Jesus Christ? Then why don't you sell out? Don't always put it off on her while she's the more spiritual one. Okay, well, maybe. My wife's more intelligent than me. I believe it. I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it a thousand more if the Lord lets me live long enough. It's true. Don't mean I don't argue with her. (laughs) Don't mean I do my very best to be right as much as I can. Amen. (laughs) And then when she's right and proves it, I'm like, you're right, honey. That's right, you're right. And I'm like, man, you're being humble. You are being really humble. That is a good leadership right there. You admitted when you were wrong. And that's how I make myself feel better. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> how, can I, how can I ask you to sign on to something I won't sign on to? Nehemiah signed on, and then all the leaders signed on behind that. You know what made David such a great leader? I think it was uh, 2 Samuel 21 or something like that. He goes out to battle in ish Ish-Bibinab. Son of the giants sees David and says, oh, I'm going to kill him. I got him. And the Bible says David's getting weak. He's getting older. And Ishbib and Abbath, and saying the name right, is getting the victory over David, King David. And Abishai comes in, and the Bible says he suckers him. In other words, that means he supports him. He comes along beside him and he takes out that giant. And you know what all Israel said? All the men around him said, listen, you ain't going out with us to battle anymore lest the light of Israel get quenched. Nobody noticed that he was getting older and weaker and slower because he was to them a legend. He's their leader. They see him as larger than life. They don't look at him like a normal human being at all. He's their captain. You know what made him a great leader? He knew he was getting weaker. He knew he was getting older, but he was not going to send his men into battle without being willing to go out there and die himself. And he wasn't going to quit and back off and resign and take a, take a backseat position. He learned from the past. He wasn't taking a backseat position again until God showed it and it wasn't possible anymore and his men supported it and said, you stay home and we'll fight. You've led us long enough. We can do it now. We got it. And at that point then, he re- that made him a great leader. He never asked anybody else to do anything he wouldn't do first. I'm talking about commitment this morning. I'm telling you that some of you have already made a commitment to God. Don't let the devil steal it because he will try. And some of you haven't made that commitment yet. But this morning, the Holy Spirit of God's putting his finger on that in your life and in your mind and in your heart. And I'm saying something. I'd be willing to go out on a limb right now. I'm not being charismatic with you. I'd be willing to go out on a limb right now and say, I'm saying something that the Lord already put in your head this week. Somebody. You need to get more involved. You need to be more faithful. You need to read your Bible more. You need to pray more. You need to be more real with me. You need to be more faithful to get to church. Somebody. you, you got to seal that commitment. You know, that's what's good about joining the church. I don't preach on this much, right? I don't push it much. I actually encourage everybody, so if you've been offended by this, just... Get in line, because the whole church has been, okay? When people come to me, I want to join the church. I say, great, I'm glad to have you. That would be wonderful, but let's just kind of hit the pause button a little bit. Let's pump the brakes. Why don't you stay long enough to get to know me a little bit? I want you to see my human side. Because I'm Pastor Reagan on Sunday morning with a suit on, you know. I want you to wait long enough till you catch me in a bad mood. Long enough till you know, I, I don't see you there. And I don't shake your hand and say hi. Long enough till you feel like one of those messages was, boy, preachers aren't supposed to be snipering, but he was just coming right for me from the pulpit today. That was personal. And then see if you still want to be here. Because I believe being a member of a local church is a huge commitment. What you're doing is you're telling everybody and God, because you settle that in your own heart and mind first, right? You came long enough to know the Holy Spirit was convicting you and helping you and feeding you, and you were getting what you needed from the services. And you're like, that had to be God. And God gave that witness first, right, in your mind? And then you said, all right, I'd like to make it public. And the preacher said, yeah, I think that's a great idea. We want to have you. And then you come, you're sealing it. You see what I'm saying? You're making it public. Hey, I'm a part of this ministry. I'm a part of this church. A seal to it. That's a good thing. It's a commitment thing. It's a belonging thing. What you're doing is you're putting yourself in a place of accountability. And you know what people don't like nowadays? Get out of my business. Well, I don't get in your business. I'm, I'm actually, in my opinion, I think I'm a pretty laid-back Bible-believing preacher. I know I'm not laid-back, but I feel like, like, I mean, I know preachers that are way more in people's business than I am. I stay off of Facebook. I don't even have, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't even have a fake Facebook account so I can stalk you. I've heard preachers talk about that. I got a fake one. Know they don't know I'm watching. Like, what are you stinking bored, man? Like, I don't want to know. Okay, honestly, I got a bunch of sinners in my church. And listen, when God has me have to deal with something, it gets brought to my plate. In the meanwhile, I'd like some sinners to have a sanctuary to get to and get some preaching. If they'll take the preaching, if they aren't getting all upset about the preaching and mad at the... If they'll keep coming, there's some hope for them. I want them here. I want them to grow. I want to give them time. I want God to do a work in their life. I'm not in your business. But there is accountability when you're associated with a Bible-believing church. Years ago, rumor come to me because some punk's out on the stinking street out there buying dope and everything from people in town and smoking dope and getting arrested and all the rest of that stuff. We've been trying to help them, and, you know, they're doing good for a while, so they come, hey, I want to wear one. Can I have one of the church shirts? And I was like, sure, you know, here's a church shirt. Idiots walking around town, church shirt on, smoking weed, buying dope. No, no, no. no. You understand, no. I don't care what anybody in the world says about me. If they think I'm overstepping or I'm some kind of a cult leader, let them say whatever they want. Give me this shirt back. You understand? Give it to me. I'm going to rip it off your back. You understand what I mean? Like, that's not, I, I won't do that, but, but give me the shirt back. You say, why? Because you're representing this church. We have a, there's a commitment. There's accountability associated with it. We're representing the Lord Jesus Christ and the King James Bible, the Word of God. We're not, over, we're not overbearing on that. And I don't think that's too much to ask. And if somebody else does, I don't apologize. That's ridiculous. You're getting arrested. You're getting handcuffed with our church shirt on. You're going to make it on the news with our church shirt on. And then you expect me, uh, oh, he's a cult leader. You're an idiot. There's, there's an expectation associated with serving Jesus Christ. I will say this while I'm at it. Do you know I've always had smokers that were members of my church? I don't care, I don't care what the brother, you realize you can't win for losing, you're going to get shot at from one side or the other. He's so domineering and controlling and in everybody's business, he's so liberal, I can't believe he's even a Bible believer. I really don't care. What I want to do is please Jesus Christ and do what's right. right. And I've never had smokers split my church. And nowadays, everybody knows how bad it is for you anyhow, that the kids have to be half like... Nuts to even start anyways. You heard me say that, right, kids? You're half nuts to start smoking anyhow. It ain't cool, and it don't look cool, and it makes you stink, and you look ugly, and you're going to die. You're gonna end your life early. Keep it up. Now you want to do it, go ahead. Why don't you talk to some of these other people around here that would do anything to get off it, and some of them that have and went through absolute heck doing it. Talk to them, and then come back to me again. Talk to some of these adults that got deceived by that stuff. You see, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, I'm talking about sealing your name to it and accepting the accountability that comes with it. And I don't think I'm overbearing. I don't walk up to your car and ask you what kind of music you're listening to. But I will preach at you about getting the junk out and listening to God's music. And I won't apologize for it. You can't possibly plug that stuff in and pump your head full of the world's garbage and think you're walking with Jesus Christ. You're trying to get the victory of a fornication and drugs and alcohol and pornography and everything else going on in this world nowadays and your thought life and everything else. You're trying to get the victory and you're going to turn that stuff on in the car and then you're going to tell me you're walking with Jesus. Yeah. Come on, man. I know how hard it is to walk with Jesus and I inundate myself with the Bible. I inundate myself with study. I inundate myself with good, clean music and I know how hard it is to walk with Jesus Christ. Don't even give me that other stuff. Yeah. But that ain't on the checklist to join the church, is it? See how weird people get? I just, I don't, I don't want the accountability. Why won't you? You know what the problem is? It's commitment. You aren't burning those bridges. You're giving yourself an escape route. You're half in. You're not truly committed to sealing your name to say, listen, come hell high water, I'm serving Jesus Christ. They sealed their name to it, and you ought to seal your name to it this morning. But that leads me to the second point that we've already sort of gray lined over a little bit into separation. Uh oh. Yeah, I use the word. You're going to be all right. Look at verse 28. The rest of the people, see, once they saw their leaders doing it, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethinims, and all they that what? Separated themselves from what? From the people of the lands under the law of God. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, they clave to their brethren, their nobles, And entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and His judgments and statutes. You know what they did? They separated themselves. When you really make a commitment, you're sealing your name to it. You're saying, God, I'm in and I'm not backing out. Lord, I'm dumping everything and I'm, I'm hooking up with the right crew, and I'm staying where you want me to stay. I'm hooking up with this crowd that's building the temple. I'm hooking up with this crowd that's putting up the walls and the gates. This is my crowd, and I'm putting my name on it, and I'm making a decision, and everybody I'm responsible for, whether they sign on in verse 28 or not, I'm already signed on. And when you make that kind of a commitment, you know what comes with it? Separation. Now, a small slice of our church Panics when you use that word, because they've heard it preached for so many years that separation means you got to dress funny in public. And it always the rules always apply to the women and not the men. Right. So the women have to always wear skirts with Bobby socks and huge, you know, 50 pound, whatever they are, you know, gunny sacks or whatever those things are, you know, you got to look like completely horrible. And the men can put on cargo uh, shorts and basketball shorts and T-shirts and tennis shoes and hat on backwards. And and, and he's spiritual even though he blends in with everybody else around because all the girls in the family, they all got the standards. Now, I want to say this because this is important. I'm not against people saying, hey, this this is my standard. I don't care what you do. Do you hear what I said? I don't care what you do. I don't care what kind of standards you choose for your home, I back you. As long as they're not illegal or immoral, I back you. That's between you and God. It's not my job in this church to legislate the separation. Does that make sense? Okay, that being said, some things are scriptural. And if you're truly going to be separated unto God, committed to God, then you're going to get away from the people of the land in verse number 28. You see that? In verse number 28, they says this, they separated themselves from the people of the lands under the law of their God. I don't, I don't understand how God's people can claim that they're serving God and be best buddies with people that aren't serving God. How does that work? Please, please explain it to me. How does it work? I wish somebody could tell me how that works. When I have a best friend, which feels very junior high to me, but when I have a best friend... That's somebody that I connect with. You understand what I'm saying? That's somebody that believes like I believe. That's somebody that's going where I'm going. That's somebody that wants to, that loves my Savior. If you don't love my Savior, listen, I can be your friend because Jesus called Judas friend. I can have that spirit about me, but you and I ain't homies. You can't cuss Jesus Christ and be close to me. It ain't going to work. Why? Because I'm committed. My name is sealed. And when you get committed to God, there's a separation that comes in your life. I worry about some of you. Because you don't want to break away from the old crowd. I mean, what business does a Bible-believing Christian have hanging out in a crowd where dope's going around? Why are you even comfortable in that environment? Why is a Bible-believing Christian at a party where there's fornication going on? Why would you even be comfortable? Shouldn't something in your spirit feel filthy? Shouldn't something be wrong? Why are you comfortable going to a bar? Well, hey, listen, they wait till it's dark and they keep it dark. Men love darkness rather than light because they're deep. Why are you there? What fruit comes out of it? Pulled over on the way home? What fruit? Why are you connected to people that aren't loving God and serving God? Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. It doesn't work the other way around. There's a separation that has to come when you want to serve God. And notice they separate from the people of the lands. Look at verses 30 and 31 that we will not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. There's no negotiating. And if the people of the land bring ware or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the Holy Day. That we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So what he's saying is we're disconnected from the people of the land and their, their gods, their morality, their money. We're separating from it. We're not going to allow their influence in our life. So, oh, he's trying to drive everybody away. from You got an evil spirit if that's what you're thinking. Why is he trying to take away all my friends? Why you got those kind of friends? You know, you live in a day and age, because of Facebook, you can be influenced literally by demonic spirits and not know it. Don't you know the principalities and powers have ways of getting thoughts in your mind without giving them extra avenues? I'm telling you what that is. That's gates off. That's breaches in the wall. Why are you following? You can unfollow, can't you? It drives me crazy. Everybody has followers. It just the whole concept of that—the whole thing—so so twisted, upside down, and inside out. They have manipulated the psychology of human nature and worked their way into human emotions to make people feel like they're something they're not in a virtual world. That's right. Man. And it's hurting the church. How many followers do you have? I'll just tell you: most people that have three hundred followers have zero followers. They're not a stinking leader. Make everybody feel like they got followers. Why you follow? I'm following so-and-so. Really? What are you following? I don't even care what they say. No. Do you know what they said about you? No. And leave me in my blissful ignorance, please. Because no. I'm going to sleep like a baby tonight. They, they, they ain't going to... Well, I don't want them to hurt the church. Listen to me. People that listen to evil people are not hurting the church if they believe what evil people say about the church. Does that make sense to you? Because most people, if they're seeking truth, can judge the spirit of the individual speaking and say, wow, if they hate that church, we must love it. Let's go. Do you understand what I'm saying? So don't get worked up. I've told people a hundred times, do not allow your Thanksgiving and Christmas to be ruined because you're defending Pastor Reagan because your family doesn't like me. How's that for a cult leader? So I'm a big boy. Leave it alone. Why? Because you know what I hope? I hope someday you can build that relationship with those family members and the Holy Spirit of God, maybe when they get to the right point in their life and some things are going on, they say, you know what? I don't like the guy's personality and I've never liked his preaching much, but I do know a place I can go and get cleaned up. I do know a guy I can go to and I'll bet you that guy, I'll bet you that guy is tough as he is. I'll bet you that guy will forgive me and help me in a heartbeat. And you could say, yeah, why don't you come? Well, you know what I said about him? He don't care. He don't care. He probably don't even know. And if he does know, he don't care what you said. My dad always says empty barrels make the most noise. You know, don't worry about them. Let him talk. You're from this stuff. Why? Because it pollutes your thinking. See, separation today is not just going to the parties and all that stuff. In the day and age you live in, separation has to do with what you're allowing to influence you by what you're reading, who you're listening to, what you're looking at, what you're following. Folks, there's a spirit in this world that has lowered the standards so low and they've repeated it and 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 repeated it until your mind, humanly speaking, your mind begins to accept it as truth and you get Programmed to respond that way to this statement. And then the preacher gets up and says. Well, homosexuality is wicked. And God hates it. And it's an abomination to God. And you go. Oh, should he talk like that? You're not separated. You've been inundated by the people of this land so much. And it's, been, it's the familiarity folks. It's just the, they get desensitized to it. What would have shocked us. When we were teenagers, when we were first married, like, our kids are like, ugh, they're just used to it. In public. You know what it is? It's a desensitization. You know what God wants out of you and I? A commitment to him. And if you're committed to him, you're going to seal your name to it. And if you're committed to him, you're going to be separated to truth. And you're going to look at truth. Now, forgive me for this. I know some people have a hard time with this. My personality, it makes it easier for me to grab this but I need you to try to grab this. You need to be so committed to truth that your emotions have nothing to do with the issue. Did you hear me? My emotions don't matter. What is the truth? And if that's the truth, that's where I stand, regardless of how I feel. You get somebody to that point in their walk with Jesus Christ and you got somebody that's going to make it. You got somebody that loves truth that much. You got somebody that'll stick. You got somebody committed. That's separation. Separation's from the people of the land, but it's unto. Verse 28, the law of God. They separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God. See it? Look at Verse 29. They claimed to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of the Lord, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and His judgments and His statutes. Notice the scriptures associated with the commitment. Now here's the beautiful thing, and this is to wrap up the whole message. They're committed to God. But what does that mean? I'm signing my name to it. I'm not backing off. This is it. This is where I'm going to be. I mean, on Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. I'm going to be at 52909 10 Mile Road in South Lyon, Michigan, because that's where I've signed my name to. That's where the law of God has opened. That's where people that are separated to God are. And I'm going to start my week on the first day of the week. In verse number 29, they clave. What are they cleaving to? to their brethren and their nobles, for what? To walk in the law of God. You see it? You know what the devil wants to do? He wants to separate you from the church so he can burn down those walls and destroy that worship, so he can keep you from getting fed. They were singing, fill my cup, fill it up, and make me whole. You know, the devil doesn't doesn't want you getting your cup full. He wants to pump your brain full of garbage all week long and then rob you of the place God wants you to be to help you wash that stuff out and get you a good start on the first day of the week. Hebrews tells you, "Not forsaking the assembling yourselves together as the manner of some is. God set up the church. That thing was revealed to the apostle Paul by God as God's program for the day and age you live in. Hey man, you don't have to make booths and live in them for a week. You don't have to offer a bunch of sacrifices. You don't have to go through all the rituals that Israel went through. Ain't that a blessing? You know what God wants from you? You. He wants you to sign your name to it. He wants you to separate unto it. And he wants you to separate unto and sign your name to something specific. It's not like this random religion makes me feel good. Well, we don't do this and we don't go there and we don't drink this and we don't wear that and we don't do this and we don't do that. Why? Well, because, like, I think there's a verse somewhere in the Bible, and, yeah, isn't that, isn't that what that verse, I think that, yeah, that's what my preacher said it means, I think that's what that means. That's not what we're doing here. He's very specific about what they're separating to. There's a clear instruction manual that they all are being taught, that's being read and being explained and being detailed and being publicly taught to the people, and it all makes perfect sense because they're seeing it right there in the law of God, and that's what they're in love with is that book. You cannot tell me you love Jesus Christ and hate your Bible. You don't even know what Jesus you're worshiping without a Bible. Why do we gather on the first day of the week? Tradition, culture? Or do you know that in the book of Acts they gathered on the first day of the week? And Paul instructed them in Corinthians on the first day of the week. And all the way throughout that thing, the New Testament church gathered. You know why? Jesus Christ rose on the first day of the week. We're gathering to say we got a risen Savior and a live, real relationship, and He's active, and He can do something for us, and we get to do something for Him, and I want to cleave to that group of people. I want to be committed to that work. I want Him to have my week. I want to serve the Lord every day of my life, every week of my life, every month of my life. I want to serve Him every year of my life, and one of the ways to ensure I will do that is the first day of every week, I'm going to be where God would have me to be with the people of God. And I'm going to find out what the book of God has to say. And I'm going to start my week out right. I commend you for being here this morning. You come here to church because you're starting out your week on the right foot. And that's great. Some of you feel bad. I don't come back Sunday night. I don't come back Wednesday night. When did I ever pressure you about that? Now, if you used to come Sunday night and Wednesday night, you don't anymore, maybe you need to do a gut check. Maybe your interests are dying. Maybe your appetite's dying. And those of you that do come back, don't back off. But leave other people alone if they only come Sunday morning. I'd rather them come here Sunday morning than go somewhere else, wouldn't you? If they'll put up with this kind of preaching, they are very, very, very elite in the day and age you live in. But make sure you have a commitment to God and you pray about what that commitment is and don't back off on that commitment. Why? Because there's that book that they needed. They go down through here and throughout the chapter. You can read it later. They dedicate to giving. They dedicate to all that kind of stuff to make that work go and to see God do something. But look down at verse number 39, please. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn of the new wine and the oil into the chambers. Where are the vessels of the sanctuary and the priests that minister and the porters and the singers? And we will not forsake the house of our God. You know what I found interesting about that is there's a picture there of what we're doing here and we're told again in Hebrews not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But what's interesting to me is that they're they're bringing all these offerings and all this stuff, but look at what's in the chambers. Where are the vessels of the sanctuary? And the priests that minister. You know you know what this is about? This is about you getting ministered to from this book by the preacher so that you can be God's vessel. Aren't we his vessels? Yes, sir. You can be God's vessel to go out there in that world and do the work God has for you to do all week and serve him. You know why you need to be here? Because fill my cup, fill it up. Aren't you a vessel? What are you full of? How are you going to get full of God if you don't have give God an opportunity to do something supernatural? Right. Listen, it's supernatural when you walk into church and the preacher preaches a message and God's reading your personal business. Now, where are you going to see any kind of miracles going on in this day and age with Israel being off the scene and the sign miracles, we'll talk about tonight being gone. Where are you going to see any kind of miracle like that on a faithful, regular basis where you watch yourself get victory and change and get clarity and figure out your life one day at a time? Where, where are you going to go? You know what you need? You need what's going on right here this morning. You need to be committed to it. It's not a matter of getting you committed to the church. It's a matter of getting you committed to God and the work He's doing in your life. Why? So you can put all that stuff in the past behind, you can get right with God, and you can move forward with the rest of your life, and you can just, listen, li- like my dad said it this way, he said there's no stains on the pages of tomorrow. That's right. Those pages are all blank. What are you writing on them? My mom told me this week, trying to talk to me about taking care of myself, you know, you're going to get hurt in jujitsu, and She says, what you do in your 40s, you'll pay for in your 50s. What you do in your 50s, you'll pay for in your 60s. She's right. Some prices are worth it. (laughs) Let me ask you, is the price you pay for serving God worth it? Are you committed? This morning, if you're not, you need to get committed. And if you are committed... You need to ask God to help you put up gates and bars and breaches repaired and all the rest of that stuff to keep that commitment because the devil's going to want to rob you of what God's trying to do in your life. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and eyes closed, please.